When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So look at this. When we went back to Carrie, and we always go by Maddie's old house, um, and they had, you know, the rose bush was gone because they had done, remember, you had them do some put some paneling up in the house. And we go back. The first time in the house looks great, and they sell it. The next time we go back, we drive by the library that we've been in all the time. The rose bush was growing in the same spot again. Welcome to After the Deluge, I'm Justin Cox. Today, we're talking about Down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was, which is the most recent Bright Eyes record and their first release after nearly a decade on hiatus. It came out on Dead Oceans on August 21st, 2020, making it the first non-Saddle Creek Bright Eyes record. The album peaked at number 36 on the Billboard 200. To talk about this record, it's helpful to first take a look at that hiatus. Um, In that time, Nate Walcott pursued various projects and toured with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is part of the reason that explains why you've got Flea playing bass on more than half of the songs on Down in the Weeds, including some tasteful slapping on One and Done. Mogus did production, soundtrack work, and Oberst released a string of records, including the solo records Upside Down Mountain, Ruminations, and Salutations, plus a Desaparecidos record and a Better Oblivion Community Center record with Phoebe Bridges. If you haven't listened to Ruminations, you should fix that. Um, Especially, it's a good uh, companion to this episode. Oh, you don't have to say it so you're thinking it out loud. Some things go south and they never turn around But if you want a confidant I'd never let you down But we can't keep drinking till St. Dimphner kicks us out Yeah, we can't keep drinking till St. Dimphner kicks us out After the Deluge is about music and culture and songs above all else, so I'm not really here to like pull apart the personal life of Conor Oberst at all, really. But in the case of this record, it's kind of hemmed into the whole thing. You kind of have to a little bit to talk about the songs and talk about the record. My guest today is Mark Hogan, who is a senior staff writer at Pitchfork and the author of the Down in the Weeds review for the site. It received a 7.4, and you can find his review linked in the show description, and you can follow him on Twitter at Mark Hogan, that's Mark with a C, Hogan. You can follow me on Twitter at Routine Layup. Uh, This is the last studio album by Bright Eyes that's come out, but that doesn't mean the series is done. Um, I've been sharing what I'm working on over at the Patreon, so check out patreon.com slash afterthedeluge for any of that and more. And um, yeah, some some more stuff is coming. 
Here's my conversation with Mark Hogan about Down in the Weeds, where the world once was. Getting dressed for a date, put on blue after shave, wore a kilt like a kilt, hid the way that I felt. Combat boots, fallen leaves, West Village, Halloween, to a Bollywood song, taking shots till we're gone, unwelcome in the autumn, persona non grata. Okay, so you wrote the review, the Pitchfork review for Down in the Weeds, Where the World Once Was. As we talk about that, I think I think an important place to start is what's your history with Bright Eyes prior to that? Maybe as a writer, maybe as a listener, just as a person. Um, and then maybe that can lead up to like how you ended up being the person to write that review. Yeah, I mean, I have a long history uh, you know, with Bright Eyes music. And it's weird, I guess thinking about that question in advance, like just because I, I knew you'd asked uh, others that um, I haven't written a ton about Bright Eyes music, or at least not that it's still online, maybe, maybe things that have vanished, you know, to, <laughs> to the archive. But um, I definitely, I, I definitely would have found out about his music when I was 18. So really good time. Uh over audio galaxy which was like my my college i remember was one of the first ones to shut down napster so i had to quickly uh explore other alternatives i mean this would have been i guess uh early 2000 but i remember um yeah i remember uh, bright eyes being one of the artists recommended on there it was like a, a file sharing service but they kind of had a little bit of uh you know editorial content to it as well um, god that sounds like, that sounds handy that sounds it was great. awesome like do you remember uh uh I hope I say the name of the artist right because it's been a while, but like uh, Okerville River, Okerville River, Will Chef, yeah. uh, he he actually wrote for Audio Galaxy back in the day. Um, so I, I was getting, I, I assume, pretty good recommendations um, uh, from people like that. So anyway, yeah, I think that like uh, Halai, Halai um, you know, from Fever and Mirrors was on there. And I, I probably was digesting it, you know, on a song by song basis back then instead of uh, the whole albums. And, you know, yeah, I, it was I was absorbing a lot of music then. But then I think when I really got into Bright Eyes would have been a couple of years after that, uh, probably around Lifted. Uh, I knew a guy like a year older than me, you know, like the kind of cool, slightly older than you guy. And he was you know, really into the Smiths and uh, really into Bright Eyes. And I had listened to both those artists all through college, but just like not. I hadn't connected in that way that I did yeah. um, around when Lifted came out. I bought that uh, CD, you know, and carried that around in the the, the disc man and saw Bright Eyes play um, in Chicago with uh, Jim James and M Ward. This was before they formed Monsters of Folk. It was just they happened to share a bill together. Um, yeah, it was it was awesome. It was just a, a wonderful show. Um, they uh, yeah they they all played together at the end in the encore. What's the Bob Dylan song, uh, uh, Girl from the North Country that, mm. that Dylan sings with uh, Johnny Cash. And yeah, it was just one of those experiences. And um, for, yeah, I was in Chicago then, moved to New York. I loved I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning as well. And, you know, Digital Ash too. Um, but uh, I'm Wide Awake was kind of the one for me. I mean, I think I was somebody like at that point in my, in my life, I was naively wanting the music that I loved to help everybody else see the world the way that I did I think maybe so I liked that like you know like um, around that era you know one foot in front of the other when the president talks to God I mean this stuff where he was taking a stand politically I mean the whole you know New Dylan voice of our generation kind of thing that was you know circling him at that time for better or worse but uh, yeah I just was taken with all of it and then yeah I mean getting older um, 
in 2009, I, I moved to yeah, to Des Moines, and I remember talking to people from around here. I mean, you know, Omaha is not far from here, and it's a pretty similar city, slightly bigger. And I, I definitely remember conversations where people would be like, oh, you know, Digital Ash is way better than I'm Wide Awake This Morning, you know, like long, drawn-out talks about that kind of thing. I think there's something to that that part. Like, I was thinking about it while listening to this record we're going to talk about today. I, I attached initially to I'm Wide Awake It's Morning as well. And I, if I'm totally honest with myself, still attach with it even more than Digital Ash and Digital Learn. And I think that it's something at the core of my being that is like what I, the thing I liked mo- I like most about this guy and this musician is like the words he's saying and the melody he's saying them to. And it's like I'm Wide Awake It's Morning is just that right at the very front for you, you know? And then I'll talk about this, but like with Down in the Weeds Where the World Once Was, I listened to it a little bit when it came out and was like, a oh, lot going on here and and kind of like a lot going on in my life. There's a pandemic happening and stuff like that. And right. just kind of just kind of like weirdly moved past it. Whereas a few years earlier, I, I attached hard to Ruminations, the solo record he made. And that's just like some kind of thing in me. It's like, honestly, a thing I need to work on because I, once I allow myself the, the the patience to go in and get and, and hear what's when there's 10 things going on instead of two, there's a lot of good things going on. Just like then that can be said for Digital Ash and that can be said for this record, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And a couple other just kind of, maybe, you know, breadcrumbs to put out there that maybe we'll come back to. Maybe we won't as we talk. But um, I definitely was writing for Spin when he, you know, went through that really dark time with the false allegations against him. So that was something that I was following closely and that really, uh, you know, was emotional for me. Um, and then, yeah. I mean, obviously not as much as it was for him, but uh, um, oh yeah. And then I saw him um, a few years ago. Ago, I guess probably several years ago now, um, you know, the pandemic definitely made everything blur. But um, uh, just again, being right here in Des Moines, uh, Phoebe Bridgers was playing here. Um, this was prior to Better Oblivion Community Center, but uh, it was kind of like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe Connor will show up. And then it was really cool because he did, you know, and it was just really, yeah, it was, it was pretty neat to see him. That's cool. Still having this place with this, you know, younger generation of, of artists who are clearly, you know, following in his footsteps and inspired by him and them kind of championing each other. So, uh, yeah, it's just been neat. He's not anybody I've, I've actually in, ever interviewed or, you know, talked to, but somebody who I, you know, uh, just I mean, a couple couple years younger than he is. And he's kind of always been there and felt like he's, you know, not, not so far away, you know. I think there's something to that. There's something to like aging. It's not just pure coincidence. Oh, they happen to be my age. It's like them being your age also means that they, in addition to what he has all in his own personal life, which is quite a bit leading up to this record, you are the same age when 9-11 happens and when the Iraq war happens and when George Bush is reelected and when the economy collapses. And like, there's something to being the same age and someone processing that who's the same age as you. It's cool. I mean, you don't want to just write for your time or just for your age group. If you're a songwriter, you want it to endure past those people who just happen to identify with you or relate to you but uh for sure i can't deny that's like been a big part of of you know especially when you're first finding out about him at in my case like at age 18 you know it's like here's this you know yeah i mean at that point in my life i mean i was still playing guitar and making weird little music on my computer and so to hear this guy doing it you know seemingly like doing it by himself you know in in omaha creating this entire world um it was just really inspiring from you know from the jump all right so you're working for pitchfork we moved through let's four or five years pass between casa dega and the people's key and then nearly a decade between that and down in the weeds where the world once was a lot of so for him i think i think we both understand this like we'll i don't want to not talk about any of it but also just speak sensitively about you have a divorce you have a brother who dies you have uh rape allegations that turn out to be false you have 
uh, Desaparecidos tour that gets canceled out of illness. That's like, it's kind of running the gamut of difficult things to go through for, for a person. And that all leads up to this record. So I don't know, what's your approach to how, how did you end up reviewing that record? And what was your kind of thought process? How'd you approach it? How did you process all that stuff as it, were you aware of all that stuff as it happened? This is a big kind of smattering of questions, but you know. No, I love it. I love it. So yeah, I mean, I'll give you a big smattering of answers. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I started writing for Pitchfork in 2004, like right around the same time that I, I moved to New York. Um, and then I didn't become full time here uh, until 2016. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been writing about so yeah, I've written, you know, hundreds of hundreds of reviews and the process for assigning them. I mean, it's the process for all of this, you know, the ratings, I mean, it's all just kind of abstruse and mysterious. And I, and I do it, you know, I've been doing it for years, but it's still kind of like, I don't know how in each particular case, it just kind of happens. It just sort of, you know, we're all kind of just doing the best we can with a, a, a small staff, but uh, somehow that, that album fell to me. I, I had been following all of it. I definitely remember writing about, um, you know, some of the, the, the false rape allegation stuff when, when I was writing for spin, um, not one of my favorite, you know, moments of my career. Cause I mean, I've written about, all kinds of allegations, you know, you know, it's a good, good experience for me, but I think it was something where you don't like, you know, like there's not a lot of cases where it's like, Oh, this is just flat out false the way that it came in, in that, right. in that case. And so I, I think it was a real learning experience and it, um, you know, even as I've, you know, I mean, of course we've seen all kinds of, you know, legitimate uh, allegations come forward um, as part of the, the Me Too movement. It was something where like, it's just, yeah, it's, it sucks that he had to be the like, sacrificial lamb before that who didn't do anything wrong um, it's br it's really really brutal i couldn't imagine covering that in the moment because i think it's like six or seven months of hang time between accusation and uh this was 100 percent false uh admission and in that middle period i mean it, it, for him like you think about it as covering it the the sensitivity around that and the the way you want to like take allegations seriously and everything. And then just to like reveal how fucked up all of it is the moment it turns out to be hundred percent false, you have men's rights activists now championing Connor Oberst as a victim. And he has, so he has to go from denying it to then denouncing some of the <laughs> worst people in the world. Like what the fuck? Right. It's a terrible tightrope to walk. If you're actually like, a, a, you know, attempting to be a decent human being, which is kind of, you know, he always has seemed to be, I mean, there's the real kind of just like humanist aspect to his music where he's, which you don't really encounter like that often in, uh, you know, in this kind of, you know, optimist landscape or whatever, like he, it's, he really, you know, with each record is kind of just trying to present his vision of the world as he sees it and feels it. And then to be, there in this whirlwind of, of um, you know, he's not, you know, because you see plenty of, I mean, I've, I've written about plenty of musicians who, not plenty, but I can think of musicians who then afterward are like, become like men's rights activists or like go on Tucker Carlson and, and um, just, you know, throw in their weight with, with the other team, for lack of a yeah. better phrase. And, and he's like, he, you know, had already had his reputation, uh, you know, dented uh, by, damaged by, by all of that. And then is not somebody, you know, he's not, he's not the kind of person who's like, now I'm going to try to appeal to like the worst in us. He, he still yeah. was trying to, to find some way forward. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's bigger than than him it's bigger than music but um certainly just for him as a human being and an artist like that's not a great spot and then um i yeah i hadn't probably been following until um writing about the album uh the you know the the divorce and the loss of his brother but you know that clearly hangs over the record too and listening to the listening to the album again this morning i mean it's it's a lot um which it's a lot then my next thought was like well all bright eyes albums are a lot and mm -hmm. that's kind of what i really like about this album is it's like it's trying to do what all great bright eyes albums do and uh attempting to do it in this way you know, applying the lessons of experience i mean the, the fact that they can uh, they can have flea on the record that they um, you know can produce things better than maybe they could and uh, and singing about uh, more adult topics, um, but still with this grandiosity and and passion uh, and and detail of of classic bright eyes. I mean, that's it's yeah. I mean, it's one of those records where I was coming into this. I'm like, how am I going to hold all this in my head? You know, this is, yeah, this yeah. Is, there's a lot going on here. But yeah, anyway, that's my I, smattering of answers to your smattering of questions. I think the way you put that is great. That like it feels like a lot, but all Bright Eyes albums are a lot. And I, but I think something I could say about this one is that like, it's kind of like the, the point of it is that he's a lot, right. It's, there's a lot, but I think, I think it probably, you probably got to go all the way back to I'm Wide Awake It's Morning and, and the others to feel this much. Cause like Casa Dega feels very outward looking wooey or whatever. And then people's key, maybe even a little more distant and removed, and now you don't feel now you feel like genuine sadness and you have stories you can point to specifically. We get it at this weird time. It is a lot. And I, I didn't notice that on first listen. I think I didn't listen attentively enough or enough times in, in that period, but it, you do a great job in the interview of getting at all or of in the review at, at getting all of that. And it's a lot. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, obviously I get like sort of, deep into these albums when i when i managed to yeah put all those those words together rereading re it it's like <laughs> yeah again it's like how am i going to hold all these ideas uh in my head again for for a conversation but you're right i mean yeah i definitely didn't connect with casadega or the people's key the same way i did with this one and it is important that it happened you know that it came out in 2020 um when i think we were all depressed i certainly was not having you know the best year of my life and uh i mean my life was fine but just you know we all yeah we all were going through uh this strange yeah these unprecedented times yeah. you know and uh it, it hit it hit really hard in 2020 for me yeah you know you know something i have I, I it's like a thing i realized while i was like making my little rft document of like of notes which is for for a little peek behind the curtain people i don't really like write <laughs> out a bunch of questions but i just kind of put i just note thoughts and i kind of put them in they usually end up falling in sections of like the songs on the record maybe some things about the person I'm interviewing. Like they, they kind of clean, cleanly do this. And on this one, it was like, I started making like, okay, there's like the long hiatus, like things about that. There's the, there's COVID when it comes out, there's the release and canceling tours. There's the record, what's actually on the record itself. And I found that like, I couldn't section these things apart from each other. Like it all is really like connected to each other. The record, the, the record is tied to the things that happen in that hiatus period. The record might be a response to like rounding a corner out of that, that period there it's the record comes out right when the pandemic starts, the tours get canceled. It's like totally, totally all feels together and of, of a thing, which is like a, a really, a, a, you could say a compliment to the record. It feels appropriate to that moment. Um, obviously it's one of those ones that's made before the pandemic, but came out in it, but 
it's more so to the personal of, of this artist and what they went through, but it, it all, it all mixed together. I couldn't, I couldn't, basically this is me venting that I couldn't organize my notes the way I normally do. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I mean, speaking of, I mean, like organization, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of strange that my album review ends by talking about basically how I wished they could perform it live. I mean, usually yeah. when I'm writing about a record, it's not, it's not, oh, and these songs will sound good live too. I mean, obviously, like if you're a fan of a band that's like good live, you know, you appreciate that they can play them live as well. But usually the album review is focusing on um, the record. And I think it had something to do with you know, maybe the long absence of Bright Eyes and and just the clear like ambition on the album. And then yeah, that moment in 2020 where it was like, uh, yeah, you'd watch the performances um, you know, that they would have to do long distance or whatever, you know, for TV and stuff and just be like, I, I would love for my friends who love, you know, Bright Eyes to be in a crowd, uh, maybe hearing these songs the way that I am when I'm playing them over and over again on my headphones, you know, because totally. uh, I could absolutely see prioritizing that as like the kicker at the end of your your review in that moment. And then, I mean, when we talk about this record stretching back through the time after the people's key and all that happens. I mean, the way you just put that, it, it stretches through to now, basically when they eventually did go on tour and then that still carried some of the weight of, of what's all here. It feels like, you know? Yeah. I mean, you keep reading about it. I mean, it seems like, I mean, and uh, you know, correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but it, you know, there's some, some shows where, where Connors had to leave the stage early. Right. Yeah. And, and, and everybody's just kind of concerned that he's unwell and um, which, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's i i hope i really hope that if he needs help he's he's getting it i mean um yeah substance abuse if that's what the problem is you know addiction is not you know it's an illness i mean we don't uh we don't um talk about it well enough i think we're getting better uh but especially in the music community i mean it's just really easy and with, with mental health too i mean it's just really easy to romanticize or, or glamorize um particularly with the work of somebody like him. I mean, I was reading, there's some, uh, some, you know, listicle somewhere that was like his best songs and it was like 10 best songs. And it was like, Oh, the drunkest and the, this and the, that. And it's like, uh, you know, I mean, he's a, man, a man in his forties and he like, you know, it's, I know I fail on, on certain, certain time periods, but this podcast aspires to be the opposite of that listicle you just described. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the, that's the goal here. That's too bad. Cause all my notes were going to be like, I was going to rank this album from, you know, the, 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 yeah. Drunkest to least drunk, and we can yeah, we can take shots and yeah. It's... <laughs> That's on the Patreon, people. Me and Mark, me and Mark <laughs> taking yes. shots. And... <laughs> yes, yes, the uh, down in the weeds drinking game coming up on on Patreon. My, I, I gotta like say thanks to um, supporter of the show, guest of the show, listener of the show, Justin Corwin, who is like kind of like, he does he has a really good brain for like stringing the arc of these records together, and I think not just Bright Eyes, like like music in general he's he's really in on smashing pumpkins and stuff too who got their own interesting story you know yes yeah and and uh like he i think he said at one point or at least i could hear his voice in my head like sure it's connor oberst it's um oh you know this was ben dolnick the guest on the last one like yeah. they it, it's not there is connor oberst and he's writing these songs but there is something when the the people come together and say this is bright eyes you know there's there are choices being made these are I mean, Mogus is all over them. You know, he's a huge part mm -hmm. of it, especially this record. There's some, there, yeah, there's something to that. But I would say um, Ruminations worked for me because I was a person aging in my 30s who also connected with those early Bright Eyes records who like now suddenly got guy in a room with a guitar guy in a room with a piano again you know like it it, it was like, oh, cool, yeah. I'll take that. That, scratch, that scratches that. It's like simultaneously older and so am I 
so what's being talked about, I, I can kind of meet it on that level in some way and also stripped away down to just him, which is a thing I appreciate. I, I, it's not a thing I would want him to just always only do. That would suck. But then it also, it really does feel like a, a nudging the door open to this record. Like it feels of a piece in terms of processing a time period as this record. Closing my eyes, counting the sheep, gone in my mouth, trying to sleep. Everything ends, everything has to. Get well balloon, going insane, weight of the world, paper mache, gone with the wind, out into nothing. I'm just trying to be easy, agreeable. Don't want to seem needy to anyone, including you. Not to keep talking about COVID, but like you try and think about like what feels like a COVID record. And I think I've said this before on on the podcast that like right around the same time that Waxahachie record came out and I listened to it like crazy. I loved it. I know I'm not alone in that. It's much it's like it, it, I tie it to that moment in the most positive way imaginable, like to the point that I think she probably wouldn't say it, but it feels like it benefited from the pandemic almost to me, you know, like whereas yeah. down in the weeds where the world once was does not feel like it benefited from the pandemic to me. Right. Buenas noches, damas y caballeros. Estamos llenos de emoción que estén aquí con nosotros esta noche. Acompáñenos mientras caminamos por el largo pasillo y salimos por la puerta de la memoria y olvido. Démosle la más cordial bienvenida al escenario a Your Most Vivid Nightmares, interpretando su más nueva composición, Page Turner's Rap. All right. Well, let's let's. So you you mentioned Flea. We got Flea playing bass on on a handful of songs. We have the the presence on track one of um, his ex wife and his mom speaking. We have yes. a choir. We have string sections. Let's like let's get into the record itself now. Yeah. I mean, we've got we've got a lot. I mean, Flea doesn't really stand out, right? I mean, it's it's not like he fits in. Um, and uh, Connor talked, I think, around that time about being he'd really liked a Mars, a Mars Volta album from back in the day. And maybe there's more of that going on here than I'm picking up on because I never really uh, have my my Mars. I have not had my Mars Volta phase yet. Um, but uh, I mean, the easy way to, to sum it up is it a lot of styles and sounds that have been on previous, um, you know, Bright Eyes records in the best way. I mean, you've got the you know the orchestral pop stuff you've got the the um you know weird electronic stuff like you know digital ash you've got uh you know him yeah him with his kind of quavering voice uh just emoting you know the top of his lungs um that folksy elements i mean uh it kind of encompasses a lot of what bright is is and has been um there's uh, a Pink Floyd reference, right? I'm just kind of looking back yeah. at my. It's, it mentions sure the, the the attacks on on the Bataclan in Paris, which was like a yeah. really you know during a concert in Paris, which was not not his concert, but just one of the yeah one of those really intense kinds of things that would be on a Bright Eyes record. Um, it uh, and like Bright Eyes records, it's, it's got this hyper personal stuff. My phantom brother came to me. His backlit face was hard to see I couldn't move, I couldn't scream 
cannon hear Beethoven's fifth This human heart's an aggregate Competing feelings so disparate and strange Life's a solitary song No one to clap or sing along It sounds so sweet and then it's gone So suddenly You know, he mentions like, the final field recording from the loud Anthropocene, or however you say that, uh, which I think I totally butchered that word, but uh, just... So yeah, there's, he's zooming out of this huge, big picture. I mean, can you get much bigger picture than like the age of you know humans messing up the world? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then back down to the level of his dreams and and his and him, you know, he's, slicing celery for I, soup. I think he's got a a real knack for that. I think it's maybe some some ability to describe like uh, apocalyptic crumbling, you know, and it kind of feels like. Over the last 20 years, you can just kind of look at like these like little bricks being pulled out of whatever building our world is like over and over and over again. So kind of the world feels that way. And he's writing, whether it's him in New York, writing like Greenwich Village folk songs and then singing a little bit about like televised wars and all that to right. this, what you're talking about. It's like the kind of like I'm a single individual little thing existing within this bigger thing that is here. Here's me describing both of them, not just preaching politics to you. Like that's what we all are. You know, we're all existing as that. And that's it's can resonate. And I think he really raises like the difficulty level a lot by making it so making it feel so personal. I mean, you know, obviously there, there's songs and there's a narrator. It's not necessarily just him, but it, feels really particular to his life whereas like i've been listening to a lot of leonard cohen late, uh, lately and i mean you use the word apocalyptic and he has lots of apocalyptic stuff but you kind of they sound like songs and and the person who's singing the lyrics seems like a narrator who is you know playing more of a more of a role you know he's not really trying to take manhattan and take berlin um <laughs> and uh you know and but we're, with with bright eye songs it's like you feel like this is the guy's life and he's pouring his heart out still you know at, at 43 or whatever age he was when he made this record or in, in his 40s and uh it's uh, uh, that actually, actually that reminds me. He sings about catastrophizing. That's his word. Catastrophizing his fortieth birthday, which my fortieth birthday was, uh, you know, a year ago and uh, or a little over a year ago. And uh, I, I did not catastrophize it, but I think that's hilarious. I mean, like people are always having <laughs> mine, midlife crises. You know, mine is this summer, so I'm still deciding deciding whether I should catastrophize it. <laughs> you'll be all right. Still, I think you'll be all right. It's, still, but... it's still it's still a choice for me to make. When out of town for the weekend. With my children Built and castles in the sun Catastrophizing my birthday Turning 40 Ended up like everyone There's no escaping the housework Or the bank clerk Or the priest That we in my Egyptian sheets, the circles working, it's fighting my fantasy. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I lo if you're a former, you know, former Wonderkind or whatever, you know, who's being yeah, hailed as the next big thing, like maybe it'd be different, you know, it'd be a lot harder to, to turn 40. I I'm not, I'm not carrying that baggage. So, <laughs> me either so yeah we're, we're lucky uh a lot the a thing that you said you just alluded to earlier and you said in the in the review that like kind of clicked something for me was the sort of like 
it pulls kind of from all over the the discography which is like like style wise and and everything and uh it kind of makes sense to do that nine years later and and what it kind of made me realize is like not realize because i know this but like you kind of go from okay fevers and mirrors you're kind of like with your friends in a house recording and trembling cold and sound like this like you're we're getting lumped in with like emo music and everything then lifted you're making this kind of theatrical loose thing with all your friends celebratory but introspective whatever then you're making essentially a, a live to tape folk record at the same time as a digital electronic record then you're making the kind of like big grandiose swooping violin casadega record with like some western swing and everything on it then you're making people's key which has this kind of like sci-fi rock all this stuff going on. those are all like we're going here this time we're going here this time we're going here this time we're going here we're going here in some ways you could this this one feels like maybe one of the first times that they're just like we're kind of going everywhere. Like Casadega, I think does some of that. People's King Casadega maybe do some of that, but like I don't know. It feels something about it felt that that way once I read those words, you know. Yeah, and I was just rereading um, uh, Fred Wilson's um, All Music review before this too, and I think he, you know, it's like they they could have gone off in a different direction, or they could have. I mean, I'm not sure how you do something that was just kind of like going through the motions and retreading your past styles, like in a, in a simplistic way, in, in a pandering way when you're bright eyes, because it's just like, well, what, what would that even be? But yeah, it's not, it's not like, oh, how, how do I rewrite first day of my life? You know, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Or, or, or bowl of oranges. Like it's, it is new, but it's kind of, it's like, this is, this is probably lame, but like, um, you know, when you think about when you're like just first learning how to like write an essay or something, you know, the final paragraph should, should kind of, you know, not repeat what the first paragraph said, but like kind of restate it in a slightly different way that doesn't introduce like too many like crazy new ideas. And, um, this sort of also reminds me of um, there's a, a new Bell and Sebastian album, which, uh, uh, and they also had to sort of in a, bright eyes kind of mode they had to cancel their tour um and i thought that that album would sound great uh, live on their tour too but it, but it's something where it's like oh they um kind of reached back throughout you know what they've been doing through their whole history but made it fresh and um yeah i think that's that's a, it's a tough thing to do and i guess probably again as somebody in my 40s it's easier to sympathize with um oh here's, here's people in their 40s you know doing what i liked when i was in my 20s but kind of updating it yay good for them which you know um but uh but uh, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was cool. I really liked. Um, I really liked what they did here. Yeah, it's 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 running around a lot of sounds that they've made before, but feels entirely new to the point of like, honestly, I feel a little guilty sometimes where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna click on the new Brad Eyes record. Oh wait, this doesn't sound like lifted. What uh, you know, like I hate that. I hate that I might feel that way. And, and honestly, allowing myself the times is a a really good upside of making a podcast like this. Is the like. I'm li- I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep listening to this and discovering what's great in something that you don't give that attention to, which I think is a, that's a thing that happens with late later career albums a lot, right? And, and and a lot of times justifiably so. Like I remember when I was in my like probably 18, 19 years old, getting I think Rolling Stone came out with like the top 500 albums or whatever of of ever type thing, and like Astral Weeks was like 14 or something like that. And being like, oh, I'm going to check that out. I've heard Moon Dance, whatever. And just like becoming obsessed with it and loving it so much. And that Christmas, like months after that, Van Morrison had a new record coming out. This is way before like the Why Are You on Facebook COVID, COVID Van Morrison. Yes. This is just later career Van Morrison. And like, oh, and it's got some like jazzy things to it or whatever, which he does. But like there's there's elements of like that on, on Astral Weeks and everything. 
in its own very Astro Weeksy way. And this record came out called What's Wrong with This Picture. I hated it. I hated yeah. it. I, I like I I was like, but I, I don't know. Maybe I should go back. I don't even know if I don't know if I'm supporting my point or or contradicting my point right now, but I know I was like this is bullshit. This is not Astral Weeks. You yeah, know? no, I, I mean, um, a couple of my my friends and colleagues, uh, Sam Sadomsky and Andy Kush, and uh, who do they do it with? Uh, Winston Cook Wilson, maybe? They have a, a podcast called Late Era Pod that's about yeah. um, like late career albums, which I thought was a really cool idea. And I'm I'm definitely not somebody who I think historically has been, you know, I mean, because usually with so many of your favorite artists, like what they do early is their, is their, their best work. Or, I mean, I'm somebody who like, I, you know, I like to believe that just one great single or one, you know, like that can be meaningful and important, even if the, you know, the band doesn't end up being some huge profit machine for the music industry and keep touring for decades. You know, I mean, there's a romance to like that one shining moment, even if it doesn't endure. Um, but uh, but yeah, maybe now I'm uh, coming on the, on the other side of things. I <laughs> there's there's maybe an appeal to people, uh, you know, uh, uh, honing their craft and 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 using their skills uh, further along their career. I mean, I yeah. I don't know, but I definitely there's a late career Paul Simon album that I I, I panned pretty hard for Pitchfork back in the day, and I, I should probably go back and revisit that. It's sort of like the the Van Morrison one uh, you mentioned. But... If you are into getting a bright eyes zine, some extra content. Or if you just want to support the creation of this show, go to patreon.com slash after the deluge. It's just one $5 tier, super simple, easy. Thank you for the support. Well, so this record starts with um, the intro and then we get dance and sing. And an interesting thing that aforementioned Justin Corwin mentioned to me was that like the in the kind of like ideation or like kicking the door open to start making this record is kind of like Oberst is neighbors with um mike mogus and omaha and so they can kind of collaborate in that way i mean it's and it sounds like this was if you watch the shows like set aside the like great shows the rough shows anything about that but like there's a lot of these songs where he's not even playing guitar he's kind of like microphone in hand which like you don't picture connor oberst that way you know and that this was there's kind of like this like deliberate um not just connor oberst bringing uh three quarters fleshed out songs for bright eyes to turn into 100 fleshed out songs but like a lot more from the inception from the other two guys. I can't speak to how 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 involved they were in the inception on previous records and stuff, but it sounds like kind of concertedly there's like a this very, very collaborative record between the three of them and everyone they had on. And that makes sense when you listen to it. Yeah, no, that's that's really well said. It does feel collaborative and like which again probably separates it from uh the Connor Rober's solo stuff that happened in between. Uh and yeah, I don't know. I mean it kind of makes you want to be a part of it too I feel like it's like maybe a little contagious I, I, I don't know um. gotta keep on going like it ain't the end gotta change like your life is depending on it it's a long time coming and we're taking it in what a wild rules see the cold moon hanging like a pendant above too many ice cream socials with the promise we love had to shoot all the targets at the carnival cause you needed hard proof i read god's dead i shed some tears for him but i swear on his grave i'll never do it again and i screamed when i realized what was happening that i had good news i'll grieve what i have lost forgive the fire and squall 
how imperfect life can be Now all I can do is just dance on through See the coast I like kind of listened through and noted things about almost every individual song but I like try not to just go like all right this song now this song now this song right now so i'm going to resist doing that as much as i was attempted to just now but are there any that jump out to you that you particularly enjoyed or things you enjoyed about them yeah i mean um stairwell song is one that's like a lot going on again but like it's like it might be about his ex-wife it could be about his brother i mean it seems to be about like a loved one who's not there anymore um but it, or it could be about something totally different you know i don't know um and then that bit where he's like you like cinematic endings at the end and then it gets cinematic right at that moment. You get one. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, something with, with that, with serial song I, I'd read, which is, this is wild, but it's the first time Nate Walcott recorded trumpet since I'm wide awake. It's morning. So That's like insane. that, you know, the like landlocked blues, like iconic little trumpet yeah. in the middle, like, and you can, it's so distinct and specifically him a sound you know not like not not that i can like i'm super refined on my like trumpet styles but <laughs> it's stereo songs cool One of the things I saw was like, he's definitely referencing an area of, of Omaha that he lived before. So I think it's, I mean, it might be about multiple things all in one thing and, and just abstract in what, in who it's about, but there's definitely some youthful thing he's referencing in that. Um, another one that stood out to me was, um, you know, uh, to death's heart in three parts, which was the one that we mentioned earlier, where it talks about the, the 2015 attacks on the Bataclan in Paris. Uh, but it also gets, you know, really, you know, introspective where he says, you know, what's it like to live with me here every fucking day? Gotta get out of here. I can't remain. Limbs, they hang like chandeliers from alcohol and age. Down in the weeds again, tough to explain. Mattress soaked in gasoline makes iridescent flames. I lay down, I'll ask my love, what will she say? What's it like to live with me here every fucking day? But she stays, I'll But then it gets to these Pink Floyd "Wish You Were Here" references, um, and, you know, all these same fears year after year. And uh, I, I don't—I mean, that was another one that that really stood out to me. Um, there, there's occasionally little moments like on every Brad Eyes record, it's just like his way with with moving words around and everything that just kind of blow my mind. And that's one song that does. So I remember thinking, like, why is it called in, "To Death's Heart" in three parts? It's like the kind of thing that. I'm a little dense in this way. Like I have to like really, really pay attention or be reading it. And then you read it and you're like, okay, there's a different foreign language word in the non-repeating choruses for each of these. These are the three parts. Right. There's, it's like, what the fuck, man? Like, 
Yeah, I almost forgot about the like, yeah, the is that like Italian or what? Yeah, that's that's it's, it's what an ambitious, which is how he always was. I mean, you know, like it's, it's just, you know, really, really going for it. And I, and I kind of admire, uh, I mean, that's just something too that, you know, that I, I kind of keep in mind throughout the whole record is it's just like, they I, well again i guess i don't really know how you would do an unambitious bright eyes record and have it be a bright eyes record but like they really went for it and um and that's that was just really heartening to hear especially uh as as uh as the world was crumbling around us yeah. at that moment i noted so tilt a whirl is one that i like a lot and there's like yeah. this kind of like there's kind of like I, I like when there's like built-in contradiction and i, I think he does that a lot it's like a lot more um a lot more contemplation than prescribing answers like is you don't who who has answers to anything anyway but like it's this song that's very much about family and he, he's def directly referencing his brother and his mother and everything and yeah. both of them they're all saying though the kind of message you're getting from all of them is life's a solitary song life's a game of solitaire it's like fan, it's equal like is this song collectiveness and family is this song we're all at this alone it's 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 my aging mother steeled herself against the gravity she felt race for another fainting spell fell in her mind through a trap door we picked her up off last song um comet song where um you know he sings you clenched your fist you threw the dish and called me peter pan your aim's not very accurate and you know i mean just this kind of household scene and knowing that he had i mean we don't we don't really know about his 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 breakup but just oh. you know the, the scene of a, of, a, of a fight um and you know is is it the the peter pan barb that's that's not very accurately thrown or is it the dish i mean we don't really know but it uh <laughs> It's uh yeah, yeah. That, that one stuck with me. Do you have the the other lyrics to that? Do you have those lyrics right in front of you? No, no, no. I was just looking he, back through the through the yeah. album review. But he follows. I'll I'll play the part right now because I remember can't Please. remember exactly what it says. Clenched your fist and threw the dish and called me Peter Pan. Your aim's not very accurate, and I thank God for that. Although. I told you many times I'm not much of a man He held out hope Believing that At least I might pretend Yeah, and then Comet Song's Comet Song ending with Little Infant in a Plastic Box Shedding Incubator Tears She doesn't know yet what, what a comet does You're approaching even as you disappear He talks about It's come up a lot that like simple things aren't necessarily bad things cliche things aren't necessarily bad things they're they can be used horribly they are they're there's a reason they don't make people feel things because they just feel like things you've experienced already but if you take right. this like commonly felt thing and say it in a way that doesn't feel that way like life is circular or they're like like they're 
he he has a quote talking about that song is like you know i know it feels kind of cliche but it like <laughs> not i'm sorry not sorry you know it's like it just it, that's that's what it is and i love that i think I, I think that's a thing that as i've been going through these songs and and lyrics like just in my general life i've been trying to appreciate is like not everything like a lot of things are like common and recurring and beautiful or common and recurring and sad not everything is just a unique individual thought in fact hardly anything is you know Right. And maybe part of yeah, maturity is, is, is recognizing that and being able to yeah to use something that might be cliche and, um, and get, and get some fresh meaning out of it or whatever, but not just like strive for some kind of totally obscure, you know, reference or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Um, you'll get that. Yeah, you'll get that when you get into your Mars Volta phase, you can go there. That'll be <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Under a microscope of apoplectic vision. My face on a slideshow, I look totally unhinged Forgot the Latin word, the name for this condition Shut off a sick to get attention Now this winter got an excuse to not go home Another another kind of con- this is a contradictory thing and, and it actually this this fits with a little bit of the the kind of simple idea stuff we're talking about and contradiction is like on dance and sing you have mm-hmm. um gotta change like your life depends on it and then on Calais to Dover you have nothing is changing the, these lines right. he's, he's talking about now that you're gone now that I'm out here on my own it won't be long and then have you heard the song no one changes this it's like not it's not on it's not on this record it's i don't know if it's a low if it's something but it's around the same time maybe a year or two earlier really really bleak one they say you gotta love yourself first that's a trip i've been hating myself since i was a little kid i know it's sad that the games rain out and all the bleach is emptied out and turnstiles spin well all the good ones in the world they keep dropping dead everybody's got a bullet flying out their head i seen it coming man i seen it coming I seen it coming no no one's gonna change hey and that's the truth no one's gonna change a oh, baby not for you no one's gonna change hey and that's the truth and i'm never gonna do what you want me to yeah what's it mean if you're in this hard period of you're in this period of your life that's bleak like do things change does that change does that end or does nothing change is this how it always it is is it always versions of this regardless if it's something else because i'd say if you if you hit like those like set of landmines he hits through like the 2010s um even if things change that i think that all can start to feel like a bit relentless yeah just there's this like existential despair that you know you kind of fear to look too closely at um but yeah i mean i think i'm really glad you you brought that up because that's um yeah because my review talks about uh 
all that's constant is that change. And I don't bring up that, that line about nothing changing. Um, and I, I'm, I, when I do that, I call back to uh, nothing gets crossed out from, you know, lifted. And when he says, I'm just too afraid of all this change. Yeah, I know I should be brave, but I'm just too afraid of all this change. everything's constantly changing everything's constantly staying the same but uh, where his vantage point is on this album is a it's a bleak place you're talking about nothing gets crossed out and looking back and, and everything um in one of your lines in in one line of the review you talk about like they belatedly found critical acceptance there's there's some more that you say after that um and and it links to like the ian cohen re-reviewing fevers and mirrors 9.0 um, and I think that's, it's like a fascinating thing. I'd like to think about like belatedly finding critical acceptance. You write for Pitchfork. Pitchfork right. didn't review these things that way then. Any, like any thoughts about that? Like I, I'm I'm like, P- Pitchfork is not insignificant in that, in the sort of arc. It's the same, same time period arc as Bright Eyes almost exactly, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it's, 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 I guess it's kind of a, just a, you know, generational thing where it's like the younger uh, writers. I mean, you're Ian Cohen's or me. Um, uh, well, yeah. I mean, or even it's interesting listening to Brian Howe on your, on your, on your podcast where he was saying that he really liked Fever and Mirrors, but then he kind of, you know, moved on to other stuff. And I, I think there was just, I mean, due to the messy youth of, of, um, of, of bright eyes um you know lots of young people connected with them with with the music really intensely and then for people who are maybe a little bit older who are already established working critics i mean clearly he got lots of press but i think it maybe was it, it or, or yeah it, it seemed maybe like like there wasn't really the warmth to him that that uh, that i felt or just i mean and then even with pitchfork i mean the editors at that time would have been people who you know, maybe they had bonded with, you know, Bell and Sebastian or the Smiths or the Cure or whatever. And then in a similar kind of way, but like couldn't quite connect. And I'm, I, I'm just, these are real people. And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't mean to actually, you know. I'm not making you answer for uh, 20 years ago, Pitchfork either. We, we, we do not, yeah, we do not need a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. <laughs> like that's like that, that would not. Well, but yeah, I mean, I just think in general, like I, I felt like, uh, you know, as a, as a person in my 20s who was like able to write like these, you know, uh, little reviews for places, but I'm, I'm sure that I, you know, I mean, I didn't write the you know, I'm wide awake this morning review or the Casadega review or whatever. And I, I probably didn't, I probably was with Brian Howe on Casadega, but I definitely liked I'm wake, I'm wide awake this morning more than some of my peers, I think at that point. Cause I just, yeah. And, 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 uh, and so it's cool to see somebody who is this, it felt like he was this, you know, he had this kind of, grassroots like online following um but maybe didn't get the same support from from uh the critics that i aspired to be and maybe that was in my head but um but i don't think so because yeah fevers and mirrors was not reviewed the same way um originally and uh yeah it was just great to see him um see them uh get uh get their get their flowers um get it makes get me 
as you talk about like sort of like like young people connecting and then aging into the roles where they're then writing about it or processing it as a cultural thing and everything like it's interesting to try and think place yourself now and think like okay who are we doing that about right right and and what i don't know the answer to is like i think i think for sure we're doing that i don't know if it's like machine gun kelly or something it's hard <laughs> it's really hard for me to think that something like that would be it but like i think maybe there is like simultaneously we are doing that we're older and looking at things we don't understand in a certain way that younger people are doing but also the music landscape and with streaming and and you can call it poptimism or whatever like the way the world has the way it's changed like we're millennials we're not like we're not like gen x uh <laughs> like we're like kind of like we were beaten and broken down into like not minding people selling out and things. And then you end up like, I mean, Pitchfork is like kind of at the center of this conversation all the time around like it's reviewing some of the most popular music in the world, like Phoebe Bridgers and this boy genius and, and uh, snail mail and all, all these like people doing a similar thing to what bright eyes did as that. They're really young. They're not seen as like young, immature, like that's, that's, that's reviewed seriously, you know? Right. Which I mean, I think that's that's how far we've come, maybe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, hopefully that's all that's all a, a good thing. Uh, I think I mean, it's it's hard to think right of who right now we're overlooking. But I mean, I think if you were to go back like several, I mean, as a critic and, you know, you want to not make those mistakes and miss stuff, but you also don't want to be, you know, hello kids, you know, and, and just, um, <laughs> uh, you know, pretend to understand something that, that you don't get. But I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, little peep, uh, who, who has sampled bright eyes is somebody who I feel like connected with young people, you know, who's a younger artist who, you know, unfortunately, you know, tragically, um, you know, passed away, but was somebody who connected with young people in this really intense way that, uh, I definitely was not the person on staff who like first connected with that. But, um, you know, I liked that some of my, my peers and colleagues, you know, pointed out that it was great and worth paying attention to. And then, um, you know, and then I could kind of see that people were, um, we're responding to, to his his music, maybe the way that we responded to Bright Eyes. It's about the most valuable, like set aside scores with decimal points and rankings and everything like that. Like it's about the like height of value in, in all this kind of criticism, right? It's like, sorry, but I'm not even pushing play on the Little Peep album unless someone gives me an entry point into why I should have some sense of, don't, you don't got to tell me to like it, but I have to have some kind of way in and uh I guess I guess Spotify can put it algorithmically on a playlist for you, and that works sometimes. But, but I'd love to hear about it from a human being in some form, someone processing it. So yeah, I mean, uh, please, please, by all means, go on talking about how my job is still relevant. I, 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 <laughs> no, yeah, no, I mean, but it is. I, I do think I do think that um, that is, you know, I mean, a lot of what I do at this point in my career is like, you know, a lot of these like kind of business stories or these harder news stories or these legal stories where it's like kind of complicated things. Um, but uh, yeah, that that role that Pitchfork has long served, uh, ideally anyway, of of finding something that you haven't heard of and like ex helping you with words get excited about it and realize like how this might you know get you through hard times and you know you know make good times better i mean that's that's like a role that uh music writing can play that um yeah i certainly have not found when i'm you know hopping around on streaming platforms and just constantly being you know constantly i'm constantly listening to music of course um and, and new music all the time but it's um yeah it kind of helps that epiphany is a little bit easier if somebody sets it up for you with with words i think absolutely Parisian reverie 
Unapologetic apathy, I guess It's the way it has to be Made my bed and I brushed my teeth Didn't think about dying Got up to face another day Maybe you're the same Maybe you're afraid to I love you I am you Chopped the celery and made the soup how did your role at Pitchfork evolve into into that kind of coverage you were describing? Well, I mean, I guess I think it's sort of uh, yes, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with uh, you know journalism and and, and uh, old fashioned reporting being more important than I realized when I was studying it. I mean, I think uh, just. Yeah, I mean, over the years, I mean, I, I've written, I mean, my, my day job for a long time was writing about just, you know, various you know, business things. And, uh, and um, you know, after Pitchfork got bought by Condé Nast, uh, Mark Richardson, who was you know, kind of running the show at the time, uh, got in touch with me and, um, you know, asked me to come aboard. And I think, you know, yeah, like I was somebody who certainly, if you read my, like, would-be Gonzo stuff from 2004, I, you know, I was really trying to, be this, you know, clever, crazy, you know, Richard Meltzer, Lester Bangs thing, which I don't know why I wanted to be that. Um, and then it turns out that, like, I think what Mark saw in me was that I was somebody who could um, report tough stories and and um, lay out the facts clearly. And and that was like, really not something that I, you know, had envisioned myself is that, that being, you know, that being what I was good at. And I think, you know, also the years of my day job being writing about complicated business things um, helped with that too. And then, um, and, yeah, and then part of it is just, so yeah, so I came, came on board and a lot of what I've done is that, although I also still obviously write, you know, album reviews and, and, and fun things. Um, and then I think, you know, a lot of that has just been uh, how, um, what qualifies as news and, and what we have the space for me to cover and the time, the bandwidth for me to cover how that has evolved. I mean, I definitely, you know, would hear about tough stories when I was, um, doing freelance stuff uh, for Spin's news section in like, you know, 2011, 2012, and just kind of be like, oh, I I can't possibly even touch this. You know, this is too contrary. Like, I, I just don't have the time to do it justice. And then now, um, you know, especially like Post Me Too and everything, like if there's a really tough story and it, and it you know, and, and uh, there's nobody else on, like, I'm, I'm kind of the guy on staff who has the space yeah. to like do it and to take some time with it and see if it's a real story or not. And, um, you know, talk to people and. Yeah. I can't imagine there's a ton of music publications that have the resources to say we're, we're, we're investing in a reporter who's going to talk to sources and, and do that kind of work. Like, it's probably just pitchfork and rolling stone right it's, yeah it's, it's, it's I mean it's a real privilege i mean and that also includes like i mean um uh, a story that i did at the end of last year was like talking about um you know artists and venues trying to get uh naloxone which is like narcan the nasal spray that that reverses yep. drug overdoses trying to get that into festivals and into venues and and you know like that kind of thing when they give me the, when they give me enough you know long enough leash to like write about something that's, you know, feels like it can help people that, I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty ridiculous that I, uh, it feels ridiculous that I, I get to do that. And I'm, uh, yeah, really, really, I'm really grateful for that kind of moment. Beautiful. I love that. Um, so for the record, you say, you say, um, this whole album is more than the sum of its parts, which is about the best thing you can say about an album, I think. And, but the parts can still be devastating. Phil feels very, 
uh, that kind of summarizes like bright eyes do it making something that connects you know is like it, the album should feel like something collectively but he's gonna like six seven times in there he's gonna stab you you know and you're gonna really feel some moments and this record feels that way for as much as it sounds like a, a full band you know collaboration it's at the center of it all is is still connor oberst stabbing you in the heart like you said it's really uh really cuts you to the quick if it ever occurred just once in the world a love is absurd as ours i would scream what we lost from the mountaintop uh, i think that it's easy to take these artists uh i mean again, speaking about like late career albums i mean sometimes it can be easy to take these artists for granted where it's just like oh like everybody already knows you know everybody who's, who's gonna like bright eyes already knows bright eyes is good you know and it's just like well no this is still good everybody like yeah and that's why i worked so hard to hopefully make an argument and point out the stuff that uh that i thought was really great on there even though it's a yeah, pretty depressing record i think the way the way it works you you listen to some things in your late teens and 20s you connect with it in some way whatever moment you're in first off you have more time you don't have shit to do no kids no none of that stuff and you're, you're feeling things and this person's connecting with them so now fast forward 15 20 years the part where you listen to something new that sounds different than the thing that you connected with in the past like that means that there's a hurdle of a little bit of work or patience or something that you need to allow yourself that's not just like i'm gonna click play i'm on i'm wide awake it's morning and travel back in time and just purely like light up some pleasure sensors you know like you're so it's like it's so easy to just stop and not go and and but what was cool like in a really organic way i found myself I listen to these records like I'll just throw it on in the background once. I'll listen attentively once. I don't listen to them like a ton of times, but I kind of try and listen to them in like a few different environments one time with like the lyrics in front of me. And after one finished, I was like, it shuffled over to um, Lifted, I think, and just my favorite Bright Eyes record. And I remember thinking Love like, it. I remember as it did it, just in a very natural way, it was like, no, I want to go back to down in the weeds where the world once was and listen to to that some more or rumination, something different. And that was a little bit of a feeling of like, I don't know, like I, I shook myself out of the little, like go to the thing I love that's familiar and discovering things is good for you. You know, it is, it is, it, it's an active process. It's not just a passive process of taking in something pleasant. It's a little bit of like i I'm going to go looking, you know, and sometimes you're not rewarded for doing that. And a lot of times you are. And I felt rewarded by that with this record. It's awesome. Yeah. And I, I should say, I mean, you know, for the, for the start of the review, I mean, you know, there's, there's the reviews that are like, here's what this artist is always about. And we're going to sum up their entire, you know, identity. And then, and then we'll get into the album. Um, and then this, but this was not one of those. This was one where I was kind of like, well, if I start trying to explain who he is, like, nobody's going to get any get any further. So um, try to just kind of zoom in on a moment that like, just seemed sort of you know jarring and and kind of just um might bring people in which was where he was singing over this little kind of clicking drum machine that sounds a little bit like drake's hotline bling Perfect. which is you know i mean it, there's not too much of a you know shared monoculture or whatever anymore but i think we all you know <laughs> we, we all know um you know big drake hits whether we want to or not and uh that felt like a good place to just kind of be like okay maybe this will surprise somebody and then maybe that will you know help lure somebody in to read the rest of my thoughts out of the blue 
saw you fall down the stairs It was me pushing you innocence Tell me the truth Is that blood on your hands Or just chocolate and fruit mm, That isn't what I heard This world went down in flames And man-made caves An island of lepers no kind of place to stay Came into me I'll just fly through the light Like the dust in the room Reminisce Walk through the zoo And I sweep up my dreams With the pan and broom That is savvy. I liked that. I liked coming in that way. And, and now that you mention it, yeah, that simultaneously works for people who already have all the bright eyes context and people who don't yeah that's that's cool and i'm really lucky that at this point in, in, in pitchforks uh you know evolution like i have many really really smart editors who if that hadn't worked they would have very gently said oh hey mark do this other thing um so like by the time it comes out uh on the website nowadays like there's enough people who are smarter than i am that make me make it sound you know really pretty and and i don't have to worry about it which when you know when brian howe was writing about casadega or whatever like that probably was pretty close to what he put down you know on the on the the word doc so it's it's yeah. really nice to have um proper editing good deal well thank you anything you feel like i've totally missed on on here that you'd like no to I, I i just think it's uh you know it, it's the last bright eyes album we have for now i hope it's not the last bright eyes album uh, i think that it was probably underappreciated in its moment um and i think it's worth uh people spending some time with so yeah thanks thanks so much for for having me i really enjoyed talking about it I really enjoyed it too. Thank you. She doesn't know yet what a calm it does. You're approaching even as you disappear. Thank you.